Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm calling from Wilsonville, Oregon. Today is Sunday, February 24th, 2019. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 25th, 2019, the 7 a.m. Big Book Study meeting, that's Eastern Time, is 12582. 12,582, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Big Book Study Meeting, the share ID number is 12583, Today, A Vision for You Big Book Study presents Spiritual Experience, Appendix 2. The authors of the big book felt strongly enough about the spiritual experience to have entered a written piece on it on pages 567 and 568 of the fourth edition of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. There's been a bit of a misunderstanding surrounding this topic, certainly a lot of discussion. How will it look? What will it feel like? Did I have a spiritual experience? What do I have to do in order to create a spiritual experience? Is there a guarantee for everyone? Do I have to be entirely abstinent to have a spiritual experience? Will it happen before the steps, during the steps, after the steps? I surely had experience, spiritual experience. I've been a religious person all of my life. And how about if I work a step 11 harder? Will I have the spiritual experience greater then? And does it differ from a pink cloud experience? And does it come all at once? Or perhaps it's just a feeling like remembering those moments when you knew something was different. You couldn't quite put your finger on it or words to it. Just it was different, and you were pretty certain that whatever it was, was true and deep and profound, but more importantly, from your past experience, could not have come from you. Or another position, how about recalling what it was like to experience an art exhibit, taking that all in, or a symphony with your eyes closed, or the vast expanse of ocean, or a walk through the forest in those tall timbers, just breathing it all in. Aren't these classified as spiritual experiences? How about those moments when you realized, almost after the fact, that you were doing something automatically out of love that you know normally would have been otherwise? You know, it's as simple as an intuitive hunch that you follow through with to a positive end. Maybe that's it. Or perhaps it's none of these things at all. Is there a difference between spiritual experience and spiritual awakening? A psychic change? And the most sought-after answer is whether or not this experience only comes to us in a certain way at a certain time. Are all of these defining spiritual experience? So much to consider and to discuss. Appendix 2 is an, effort to encur- is, is an effort to encourage the fellowship towards hope for all of us. Here today to explore further this topic through personal practice and understanding of Appendix 2, the spiritual experience, is Larry Kay. Larry Kay truly is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous and the spirit of recovery burns bright in him and through him daily. His gifts are many, and his humility runs deep. And it's a privilege today to have Larry Kay speak on this subject. So without further ado, please help me welcome Larry Kay to the line. Good morning, Larry Kay. 
Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. Can you can I be heard okay? Loud and I just clear. make sure I'm coming through. Oh, good. Thanks for the lead-in. What a great lead-in. Um, oh, goodness. So, yeah, I want to, you know, before I we get into uh, to the appendix a bit more, I just want to share, you know, my experience coming in um, into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous um, quite a number of years ago now. And I, I really don't, you know, I've heard other people that, you know, there's a focus. I know when I go to my AA meetings, there's a, a focus on, the number of days and there's coins and so forth. And, um, and I think it's terrific. I think we should cherish, cherish those things. But for me, um, at the same time, kind of living in the moment, um, I really try to stay in the moment now. That's all I, I have. And so for that reason, for me, I, I don't focus too much on that. And I know, you know, it was important for me to hear uh, when I first came in. Um, it made an impression when I saw, look, I came in. I was a hundred, approximately 100 pounds heavier than I am today. Um, I was uh, just really in a state of misery um, in so many ways. I think I was, I mean, I was heavy in body. My physical packaging was, was definitely heavy. When I saw pictures, um, I saw things different in, in photographs than I saw in the mirror. <laughs> maybe, maybe just the daily, you know, maybe I thought it was, you know, well, it's not so bad. That was kind of my thought. But when I would see videos or photographs, um, boy, I cringed. And so I don't want to diminish the nature of, of, of the physical packaging and, 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 and the pain that that represented for me. But at the same time, like so many other people too, I came in um, emotionally bankrupt. And I always describe it as, I mean, the food certainly numbed me out. So I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't, um, I just wasn't living life. I was uh, pretty much dead inside in many respects, although if you, if you met me on the street or in business, I, I certainly looked like someone who was functioning. Um, I, I always had a job. I always had a roof over my head. Um, you know, I had transportation. I was married twice. That perhaps can tell you a little bit about some of the misery for me that I authored. Certainly was a, was a big, big author in those things. Um, I had a child. You know, we, we, we have a beautiful grown daughter now. And um, so there, there was evidence of, of someone who, who, who maybe had a life that was, you know, that was reasonably functional. And, and there were certainly, there was laughter at times. And there was, there were some good moments, absolutely. Um, I will tell you that I had a pretty troubled childhood. I had, you know, things that happened to me and traumas, emotional and physical traumas and such that happened to me and followed me around. And, um, and, and, and were those painful? Absolutely, they were. Um, it would be silly of me to think that those didn't have an impact on me as, as, I, as I grew. Look, we're, we're, um, we're all a product of nature and nurture, right? We're, we're a product of our, I, I suppose, our genetic, you know, our genetic makeup, certainly. But we're also a product of all those, those experiences, um, through the phases of life and um, through the developmental periods of life. And so I was as well. And, um, but, you know, the thing about it is when I, when I arrived to the rooms of OA, I was in a lot of pain, again, emotionally and physically, very uncomfortable. And, um, and when I came here, basically crawled in here, because I know the day before was just a, another day of, of just pure misery, that sometimes misery is the catalyst that gets us into the doors. I think there was something divine at work 
you know, looking back, although I certainly didn't see it that way at, at that time. And I didn't understand the 12 steps, and I certainly didn't understand um, the, the spiritual, uh, you know, aspects is the way I looked at it, the spiritual aspects of this program. I saw that as one aspect of a program, and there was other things that I tried to sort out and so forth. And when I heard about <clears throat> the idea, I saw it in the steps, read it in the steps, and, and heard some people referring to some sort of spiritual transformation. I heard terms like spiritual experience and spiritual awakening. You know, frankly, I, <clears throat> I, I cringed. Uh, that was the part of the program that I'm going to leave, but I, I'm certainly going to try some of these other things um, and, and kind of see where, where I land. I want to start by, by reading it, um, as, a, as a kind of a lead into to getting to, um, <clears throat> to the appendix. I want to start by reading from page 25 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the chapter entitled, There is a Solution, because this gives us a nice, um, a nice foundation. The first full paragraph begins, there is a solution. Almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which this process requires for its successful consummation. But we saw that it really worked in others, and we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We have found much of heaven, and we have been rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The great fact is just this and nothing less that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences. So there's the first mention of that, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could never do by ourselves. And you may notice above that, again, it says the great fact is just this and nothing less that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. And there's a little asterisk there. And, it, and of course, it refers uh, us down to the bottom of the page. And it says, uh, it says, you know, full, fully explained, Appendix 2. <clears throat> and again, later on page 27, another asterisk, right? At the bottom of the page, it says, for amplification, see Appendix 2. So again, it's telling, it's, it's drawing our, our attention back to a uh, further um, understanding of what this, this thing is. And on page 47 in the chapter, We Agnostics, it says, Please be sure to read Appendix 2 on spiritual experience. Yeah, I, I, yeah I've heard it said, um, you yeah, know, I wonder if this is important. Well, I guess that they've referred to it. They've asked us on three separate occasions to read Appendix 2. They're, you know, perhaps it's important. And they're talking about uh, spiritual experiences and spiritual awakening. And so in the first printing of this book, you know, they, they, they don't have, uh, they didn't have these little asterisks. And it didn't um, have a reference to the spiritual experience in Appendix 2. And as time went on, you know, if you look back in 1939, and, and as, as this thing was growing, right, um, at first, slowly at first, and then it kind of mushroomed, and we, you know, we know the history here, and here we are in 2019. But in 1939 and thereafterwards, what a lot of people, my understanding, was a lot of people would write to Bill in the uh, central office in New York, 
And, you know, they, they essentially would say, look, you know, we, we, we need to better understand, we want a better clarification of, of, of what, you know, what is the distinction between this spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening. And they, they would tell Bill something to the effect that, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of these things. Um, we are following these instructions. But here's the problem. We're, we're not having the same spiritual experience that you described. And they wanted to know, you know, what was meant by this and, and some clarification uh, about the, the supposed spiritual awakening that they weren't having. And when I think back to my own experience when I arrived to OA again, it, it was very important for me that I fully understand what was meant by the uh, concepts because as Mel alluded to, there was, you know, there, there could be confusion for me, for someone like me. And, um, and I can get very comparative especially when I come into the room, I'm going to compare my size to your size. I'm going to compare my experience to your experience. And when you, when you begin to talk about a spiritual awakening, I'm going to begin to compare. And I, I ain't got what you got. So, you know, that's just human nature that we do that. And they did that. We do that in 2019, and they did that back in the early, early years. And it, it, you know, it, I wasn't raised in a religious home. In fact, the notion of a higher power for me was never discussed, nor was it really demonstrated by my parents. Now, I'm not knocking my parents. You know, please understand. They gave me, I, I felt loved, and they gave me the best they could with the understanding they had, just as I do with my daughter, you know. I tried my best and try your best. Now, my parents certainly identified themselves as being connected to, uh, to a, a theology, to a religion, a religion they were born into. You know, maybe you can relate to that. Yet, for me, there was no evidence that I could see that they felt in the least bit, you know, comfortable with, with, with some, some idea, some notion of, of having a personal relationship with the higher power. And, you know, and, and, and my earliest recollections were that my parents and even extended relatives never spoke in terms of faith as a personal relationship with the higher power or some type of relationship to God. In fact, the notion of prayer for me personally or some sort of, you know, daily reliance upon God was very foreign to me. And, and that's okay. That's my experience. And God, if, if, you know, the, the, the word God, if ever spoken about, it was exceedingly rare that the subject of God came up. I, I don't think they were very, you know, particularly comfortable with, with that notion. But it was talked about in a very distant you know, somewhat fumbling, kind of uncomfortable terms when it did come up. It was kind of mystical, very disconnected is what I remember. And, uh, you know, they could talk about business. They could talk about, you know, about food, certainly. They could talk about a lot of things with conviction and deep understanding, but, but about God, not so much. And, and furthermore, anybody who claimed a personal relationship with God, what, what I got out of it through my perceptive lens as a, as, a, as a boy, that if someone claimed that relationship, they were kind of an evangelist, although I didn't know what that word meant. They, they were hypocritical or certainly misguided, maybe even a bit naive. That's, that's the, not that my parents ever saw, you know, sat me down and said, look, you can go this way, you can go that way, the religious way. That, you know, they, they didn't lecture me in, in those terms. But I, I tell the story, I think I've told the story before of one person I remember of having some sort of spiritual transformation within, within sort of an extended, my extended family. And I was nine or ten at the time, 
And my parents had divorced, and my mom and you know moved, uh, remarried, and moved, uh, shipped us off, uh, me and my three siblings, to California. And my stepfather's sister, okay, that we you know was hospitalized for some type of uh, mental illness, and I remember that. And she was later transferred to uh, what would have been like an inpatient treatment facility. I, I don't know the exact nature of what, you know, what she was dealing with, but I would hear my parents talk about it and other relatives talk about it. And what I recall was that while she was there, she had some sort of spiritual experience. She was, she was I, I have no idea, was it 12-step, was it, a, you know, a theological, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was something that someone introduced her to some ideas, and here, here's what happened to her. She got better. <laughs> she left that treatment facility. She was, um, you know, she, she, she got her life back, and she became devoted to that way of life, whatever it was. I don't really recall what it was, but I do know that it was characterized as, you know, some sort of religious experience, spiritual in nature. And the unintended lesson to me when, in, in looking back was clear. I say unintended because I don't think my parents – and others really gave much thought about the impact it would have on any of us. I don't know that it had any impact on my siblings, but I remember it. The unintended lesson to me was clear. Relying on a higher power was fantasy. It was something to joke about. It was, you know, insanity. I remember, you know, um, (laughs) there was a discussion uh, my stepfather talked about uh, he probably botched the quote, but there was a quote, um, religion is the, is the opium of the people, of the masses, right? Something, something along those lines. And, it, you know, it sort of kept the masses in check. And so I got that kind of message, and that's my experience. And so this would be a barrier for me my whole life because the message came through loud and clear. And, or so I thought. And there were lots of things I just didn't understand. You know, thank God for people like me who didn't have a clue about the nature of the spiritual awakening, you know, that they included this appendix, too, in the back of the book because they talk about spiritual experiences and spiritual awakenings. And this phenomenon is used all throughout the text. We see it, you know, throughout the text. They wanted to make real sure that a guy like me would understand what they meant by that. So let's go to page 567 to see if we can get a further clarification on these terms spiritual experience and and spiritual um, awakening. So I'm going to start in there in in the first paragraph. Bear with me here. I don't know about you, but I got the big, I got the big print stuff. Uh, Okay. It says the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading, uh, I never, read anything particularly carefully, but I, upon careful reading, shows that a, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So in the first paragraph, I see that it may be a, it may be a spiritual experience or it may be a spiritual awakening. And here's the thing. Regardless, in either case, it's going to be a representation of some type of personality change. Something's going to happen to me where my personality is going to change, and it's going to change in a way that's sufficient to bring about recovery. You know, remember, in the doctor's opinion, Dr. Silkworth referred to this as a psychic change. In other words, an alteration in the way that I would think and feel 
you know, my, my attitude would change. So, you, you know, we see several terms. We see spiritual experience. We see spiritual awakening. Now we see personality change or psychic change. And they all refer to the same thing. There's going to be a change. Now, what it goes on, you know, is the spiritual experience, that's going to happen suddenly. That's what they're talking about there. It's something that happens suddenly, as it did with Bill in Towns Hospital. And, and some other folks in the stories um, in the back of the book, um, particularly in the first edition, they also had changes characterized as sudden, right? At least um, in the first edition and, and some others. And, you know, I know... In, in the world of psychology, you know, they, they talk about crisis, crises as, as often, um, not even in terms of a spiritual awakening, but, but a major trauma, major crisis sometimes can um, be the catalyst to produce change in people, some sort of personality change. Again, not even talking in terms of spiritual. And I, I mention this because the early drunks, the, these gutter drunks, many of them, you know, this was traumatic to say the least. This was, they, they were on knocking on death's door here, right? So, so for, for some of them, it's not foreign to me that, you know, some of them that, that began to apply this work that might have had a more sudden, profound change in the way they, their attitudes and ideas and their thinking. Maybe there was an opening for them that if they did this work, pretty quickly they could experience a change that they would, that, that would be characterized as a, as a quick spiritual experience. But the notion of, of a spiritual awakening, that was characterized by something different. That was characterized as something that, that evolves more slowly over a period of time, as Mel was talking. Um, back to page 50, uh, excuse me, 567, the, the, the second paragraph, it says, Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, and though it was not our intention to create such an imp uh, impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. And among our rapidly growing uh, membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Now, Bill's was, again, a sudden change. But what he's saying is that for most of us, it's not going to occur that way. That's not how it's going to go down. Most of us will have the educational variety of change, and that was the case for me as well. So for most of us, you know, we will change as we learn and as we move methodically, sequentially through these actions, and we're going to do it quickly. doesn't mean that the obsession to binge eat won't be removed if I move through it quickly. That was the case for me. But that was distinct from a spiritual awakening that happened and continues to unfold for me. That was a, 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 that was a big distinction. And again, this spiritual awakening will happen slowly over a period of time as we apply the steps. And sooner or later, 
you know, we awaken to the facts. Others may see it in us before we do, but we begin to awaken to the fact that we, we've experienced, you know, we've changed. And I, I can say today, I say it all the time, that I'm not the same man that I used to be. I didn't say that when I was in the midst of working the steps methodically, sequentially, quickly, and having white-knuckled abstinence, which I did, nor did I say it when the obsession was removed. How would I know that it was removed? I just, it was a feeling. And so for me, the evolution of the spiritual awakening, absolutely, I, I began to feel different. And that happens slowly over time and continues to evolve. And, you know, we're on each of us. The beauty of this experiential practical program of action is each of us has our own trajectory, right? Each of us has our own pathway we're going to follow. That's why I always tell people, because people just like me, they want to know more about this, this spiritual awakening, this spiritual experience. And the reason I did was because I wanted someone to articulate it in such a profound way that I could wrap my brain around it and maybe get, you know, get, get under it and be more proactive and make it happen. And that's why I call it, and, and, and I wasn't at fault, and nor are you, for wanting it now. I did want relief, and I, and I thought this had something to do with relief. I was certainly miserable. But what I, what I will tell you is, I call it often, and, you know, this is 99.99% of the stuff you, you, you would hear come out of my mouth I got from someone else. Um, that's what we do here. Now, I, I have my own experience, so I, I describe it in my own way. Um, but one thing that, that, I, that I came up with um, was uh, just because it made me laugh. I'd like to laugh. Even in the midst of some misery, I, I, need, I need to have a chuckle, right? And I thought of, you know, I, I thought of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Imagine that, a compulsive reader thinking about a chocolate factory, right? Uh, but that, it came to mind. And I love, I'm talking the, the original movie, and I love <laughs> the song that Veruca sings. And no, I'm not going to sing because we'll, we'll lose people. We probably lost some already. But, but I, like the, um, I like the lyrics because it reminds me of my approach to this thing. And she says, I want a ball, you know, party. I want a party, pink macaroons and a million balloons and performing baboons and give it to me now. And she, I always laugh when I, my daughter does too, when she says, I want the world, I want the whole world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate, again, nice reference there. Give it to me, daddy, right? I want it now. And that's really, it makes me laugh because that's the way I approach this thing. I wanted relief and I wanted relief now. And I really had the erroneous belief that what this is, these people are given instant relief once they, you know, complete this work. They told me complete this work. And then they begin to lose weight and everything's wonderful and rosy and, you know, and everything's beautiful and it's ponies and, well, no longer Pop-Tarts, but it's ponies. And, you know, the, the reality was that's not, my experience was erroneous there. It, it, it was different my, uh, or my perception of what the experience would be is different. So I tell people, go, go have your own experience. Do the work. Watch the trajectory. What if, God, what if there is a God or a higher power? I don't know. What if there is? And what if that higher power has a special plan for you and how this is going to unfold in your life that may be different than mine? 
And maybe you're going to have a more sudden revolutionary change in your ideas, attitudes, and emotions. And maybe mine's going to take longer and evolve more slowly. But what difference does it make if we get to the point where we begin to change and we move from that self-centered kind of existence to a other or maybe God-centered existence or consciousness? We both, we both arrived at the same place in that sense. So in either scenario, the bottom line is there's going to be a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. That's why we come here, to bring about recovery. It's got to be an effective one. It's got to be sufficient. And can I be okay with this idea? Can I be okay with this idea? Can I have the patience and the grit and the perseverance to move forward? trusting in the process, regardless of what my personal trajectory is. I'm not in control of that entirely. We're still going to get to the personality change. In the end, there's going to be a revolutionary change in how I think and feel and ultimately behave. And we are a diverse group. We're a big tent with some big personalities, some other personalities. What a great thing. We don't care what your bank balance is. You don't want to know what mine is. We don't care what, what, you're, you, know, what you identify with um, in terms of theology or religion. Are you atheist, agnostic, Jew, Christian, Muslim, Martian like me? I mean, we don't really care one way or another. It has no currency here. Basically, <clears throat> all it is is, you know, Bill uses the idea of an ocean liner. He likes to use a concept of an idea that expresses that we know about to express some other idea that we don't know about. Because some of us, like me, I'm in steerage. you got to come down to, 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 to see me in steerage. That's okay. I, I'll, I'll clean myself up. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll soak myself down here. I'll clean up. And, and, but, but, you know, and, and if you come from the captain's table down to me in steerage, we, the one thing is, is we've both been saved as the result of this practical program of action. You know, and, and that's the thing. And even if we go our separate ways, we'll always know that. That's why, you know, anywhere we go in this country or in the world, because there's people on the line that are from some other distant land, we, we have something in common. We can speak the same language of the heart, right? And there is a solution. So, we get here, like I did, restless, irritable, discontent, tethered. I was tethered to shame and fear and guilt and remorse, and I wore masks. And, and when I was walking down the proverbial sidewalk and someone that I resented or harmed came that way, I would have to avert my gaze or run across the street, and I don't have to live that way anymore. There's been a revolutionary change of some kind, right? So we move from that, that place. Now, if I, can, if I can change from that, that guy, to peace of mind, serenity, love, well, I've moved to happy, joyous, and free. And none of us will be the same after we do the work. You, you can't be. It's impossible to be the same human being after we do the work. Talk to anybody who's done the work. They'll tell you the same thing. They'll give you their own context. So back to the text, where I left off uh, in the uh, one, two, three, fourth paragraph, about midway down. 
Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, I think that means we really want to give emphasis to this, Boom. Most emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. That, that was uh, Herbert Spencer's uh, quote. Taking a sip of my, uh, my water there. See, so, so I got to the rooms uh, of OA, as I mentioned, knowing so many things that turned out to not be true. And I had these lifelong conceptions that I, I lived my life based upon. And, and, and they simply, looking back in reflection, were untrue. Uh, they didn't work. And, and they were ideas and conceptions that were so concrete in my mind. They were rock solid in my mind. That there was no room. It was you know, there, no room at all for something else to come in. It was, it was too crowded up there with my own, you know, conceptions. And I was called to lay aside in this program old ideas, conceptions, and interpretations, right? And to be able to accept something new. I didn't like to accept something new. And I had the most wonderful sponsor, my very first sponsor. And he told me, he kind of looked like me too. And he told me the first day I came into the rooms and heard about powerlessness, he told me to go out and jump ahead to step nine and go make amends. See, my first sponsor was me. <laughs> so, you know, he, he was, yeah, he was terrific. He, he uh, you know, he told me all sorts of things. He told me to jump around the steps. He told me to, you know, take a year or more to work them. Um, you know, dip your toes here. You, you know, shake your book like that, like an eight ball, like the crazy eight ball, you know, the little toy and, 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 and open up to a page and see what it says. You know, I did a lot of that. You ever do that? Flip around in the book? Yeah, I did that. Um, so I, what I needed was an open mind, perhaps more today. I need an open mind than ever. There's always so much more that God, you know, will have me learn and assimilate, um, over time and, and shifting gears for a moment, Bill, if we look at Bill, he really loved to teach. He was, he was like Harlan on steroids. And he loved to teach, and by using he, he liked um, by using examples regarding something we already know about to teach us something new. He had his own style, and um, and that's essentially what he did when he referred to the, the the Great Ocean Liner, like I mentioned. Another thing that Bill did 
when he wrote, he did not repeat himself too often. He felt a good writer would find a different word to express the same thing. And perhaps you've heard that before. And so when we recognize that, it's important that we recognize his writing style. This is what he's doing. When we know that, it's easier for us to understand him. And if you don't, you'll misinterpret and you'll think he's talking about something different. And, and let me give you a, a, a critical example of that regarding a spiritual experience. And, and that deals with the word change. You know, if, you, if you take a look at the number of times he refers to the concept of change in Appendix 2, you know, just pay attention to the number of ways he describes the same concept. That, that was, someone told me to do that long ago. And in the first paragraph, he talks about a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. In the second paragraph, he, he again mentions personality changes. But then he, he goes on to say, in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. So an upheaval is, is uh, to change something entirely. And then, and then if you go to the third paragraph, the first sentence, he refers to sudden revolutionary changes. When you revolutionize something, I think you change it. The third paragraph, last sentence, um, he says, immediate and overwhelming God consciousness. Uh, if I overwhelm something, I'm changing it. And the last sentence in the third paragraph says, vast change in feeling and outlook. And then on the, just a note, last example, the fourth, uh, well, a couple more, fourth paragraph, he says, such transformations. You ever have a transformer, the toy? To transform something necessitates change. You change it into something else. And then the, lastly, the middle of the fourth paragraph, he says, profound alterations. When I used to get my suit jackets altered to, to, to make some room, right, I'm pretty sure they changed my suit jacket. They altered it. <laughs> so we, we, we get the point. The key thing here is to change, you know, by way of the spiritual program of action um, from what we were when we got here to something entirely different. You know, my conscious self, my conscious mind has changed. So all attitudes and ideas and emotions that once dominated me, I think I heard that somewhere, were replaced. They were, they were, they were replaced by new ideas and emotions and attitudes. That's why like, I, can, I, can, um, I can love in a way that I couldn't before. Even in the midst of, of, of calamity and challenge, I could show up in a different way. You know, I, can, um, I, I have a desire to, to be of service usually. Still imperfect, but I have a desire. I don't know where that comes from. I guess uh, my, my conscious self has changed. I'm not dominated, but the old Larry, you know, runs and hides in a cave with ding-dongs and Doritos and all that stuff. I don't, I don't do that anymore. So we go from restless, irritable, and discontented. Again, you know, me bursting at the seams from an overabundance of ding-dongs or Pop-Tarts or... We're, or we're purging our way through life. And we move from there to becoming a better human being. We're going from that state of mind to one that has peace and serenity in the midst of whatever challenges we're facing. I know lots of people that are facing challenges. They're falling. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're having a hard time with this one. And, and work issues, financial issues, 
and yet they're recovered. They would have been brought to this recovered state. So even though they're dealing with those things, which is what normal human beings do, they don't have to deal with those things anymore with food, no question, right, with food to numb them out, but also with character assassination and rage and fear-based thinking, right? They're still human, but they're just different. They're, they've been inwardly rearranged. They've been inwardly restructured. Call it whatever you want. It's just a profound change. So we go from that state of mind to a different one. And now, amazingly, we have a willingness to help others. That, that, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that, but that happened. An entire change in how we think. That, my friends, is the unfolding of a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, which is a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive reading. That's a psychic change. To go from what we were to something different. And religion has nothing to do with this at all. Now, it may for you, but I'm saying with this, with this spiritual program of action, religion has nothing to do with this. A change is brought about through spirituality. And for me, spirituality is nothing more complex than a sense of connection to something bigger than me. That's it. A sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves. And as such, what happens is it's an it's a existential thing, a universal thing. In other words, it's something that all human beings are capable of experiencing. Now, when I was blocked off from that, I thought, no, that's not true that all human beings, um, you know, will experience that. I wasn't experiencing it. So, you know, my intentions towards recovery were, were different, you know. And if I look at it, I, I, yeah, I wake up in the morning. I, 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 I brush my teeth. I, I take a shower. I get dressed. I go to work. You know, all the things we do, right? But I do not make my heart beat nor do I will myself into breathing. And I don't, uh, you know, will myself into loving. These are organic, existential, universal human things, just as pain can be and suffering too, right? Because there's someone on the line that's, you know, they're white-knuckling their abstinence. They ate, they got food like I did on their keyboard right now, and they're, they're wondering how they can <clears throat> battle for one more day. They, there was a... a a philosopher that said, you know, um, in the universe, there's an unmeasurable, indescribable force, which, you know, for those who live in this power source call intention. It's organic. Everything that's in this universe was intended, including you, might, might be one way to look at it. So, so my imperfections, my defects of character, it all emanates from the source of power greater than me. And so, too, does transcendence change. So today it's not whether or not um, I, could, I could be connected to this power source because you couldn't be listening to this line or processing my words or hanging up, <laughs> which you may do, if you weren't connected to this source, this field. This, this field beats your heart. It, it, it grows your fingernails. It, uh, it, it animates all of your life. So for me, the question is not whether I'm connected to it. I'm already connected. Rather, the question is, how rusty, how corroded is the link between me and this power source? 
because I would offer to you that this spiritual program of action is intended to clean up the corrosion, to remove the rust, you know, to, to, to sort of clean this connective link that already exists. And we become more aligned, more um, in harmony with, with this power source. And, and, you know, the more I'm in harmony with my creator, the more that I'm able to do all, you know, this, you know, all that I, that I intend to do. If I'm blocked off with a corroded spiritual artery, if you will, you know, then I'm, I'm hindered from doing that. And, and how did I get connected? It, um, how do we keep that link uncorroded, if you will? Well, I have this practical program of action. That's what I do. Um, I want to um, I want to wrap up just a little bit, um, and I want to read something to you. So bear with me here. I'm gonna bring it up. It's something from if you remember William James was this. Um, uh, Bill gave a lot of credit to William James as well as to Dr. Young and many others. But William James, who wrote that book, Variety: The Varieties of Religious Experience, and he was a um, Harvard professor for 20 some years. And he was kind of the father of psychology in this, in this country, anyway, in some sense. And here's something that he said. He said, a, parada- a paradise of inward tranquility seems to be the faith's usual result. A paradise of inward tranquility. The transition from tenseness, self-responsibility and worry, to equanimity, receptivity and peace is the most wonderful of all these shiftings of our inner equilibrium. Those changes of personal center of energy, which I have analyzed so often, because he looked at all these different um, ways to bring about a spiritual awakening. So he says, those changes of personal centers of energy, which I have analyzed so often, and the chief wonder of it is that it, is so, uh, it, it so often comes about not by doing but by simply relaxing and throwing the burden down. That's the paradox. We do, we row our boat, you know, we chop our wood, we do the work, but in so doing, we throw the burden down. And for me, the burden was me. It was my ways of thinking. And now I'm not as burdened. So anyways, with that, Melanie, I will pass. Well, thank you so much, Larry Kay. That presentation was very passionate and informative. I'm very grateful for it, grateful to have it here. We so appreciate your service here at Division for you and to Overeaters Anonymous. Your experience, strength, and hope is, is very, very important to recovery. We will have Larry Kay leave his contact information at the conclusion of the recording, so you want to stay around for that. And before we get into Q&A, I would like to give you the share ID number for this presentation today, which is Sunday, February 24th, 2014. That share ID number is 12586-12586. So now we will open up the lines to those that might have a question today for Larry about his presentation. Who would like to ask a question? Kathy Kay. Kathy K and somebody M. Brandy M. Brandy. Hi, Brandy. Okay. okay. Anyone else? Uh, Pam else? M. Pam. Hi, Pam M. Hi. Sandy W. Hi, Sandy W. Gotcha. Martha S. 
Julie S. S. Hi, good morning. And Julie F. Yes. yes gotcha. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. Let's start with those. We have Brandy, M, and Kathy, Pam, and Sandy, and Martha, and Julie. Good morning, Brandy. Your question for Larry. Good morning. Can I be heard? Uh-huh. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your share. Always so powerful to hear you. So you talked about throwing the burden down. What do you do on a daily basis to get out of the way when things come up for you? How do you handle that? And what do you do when you've done a 10 step and it's still not going away? You know, you're still showing up where where your personality or whatever is going on. That self-will is so strong that you can't get out of the way. Yeah, no, thanks for the questions, Brandy. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, what do I do today? Well, I tell you, I do do something different than I, I certainly did, you know, when I was when I was working the steps in sequence here. I was still um, – so I had to have a little um, – I had to allow um, myself uh, to be human. Um, so I want to I kind of draw the distinction between, you know, what I did as I was working the steps the first time in sequence because – then I was still at certain times, not only I was new and I was, I was white knuckling it, but I was also, um, you know, there, I was still full of, of rage at times and I was full, full of, um, well, I was full of a lot of stuff. Um, I was, um, you know, there was, um, uh, you know, resentments and fears, a lot of anxiety, um, you know, restless, irritable, and discontent. So at those times, um, what I did was something different than today, and I'll, and I'll explain that in a moment. But but I certainly used the tools and the fellowship as they were intended, which was to support me while I was while I was working the program of action to get well. And I, I needed some grit. We talked about that. I needed some perseverance. I needed a whole lot of patience. I think the God of my understanding, Brandy, really um, looking back, um, patience was something that I didn't have much of. And I was not patient with myself. I was very hard on myself. My self-talk, you know, the, 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 the sort of the recordings that would go through my head of how I talked to myself was uh, I wouldn't, you know, talk that way about anybody um, to their face, but I would really beat myself up good. But I think, um, so then um, I, I think I was, I was taught to, Larry, you got to use these Use the fellowship, the meetings, the form relationships. You've heard of the term people refer to as a tribe. You know, um, put yourself out there even when it's counterintuitive to what you feel because, again, I'm a caveman. I want to go in the cave with my Pop-Tarts. I don't want to see anybody. When I, and when someone steps on my toes, Brandy, um, yeah, at least back then, when someone stepped on my toes, as people will do, as human beings will do, um, if you insulted me, you know, you're going to, I'm going to shred you with my, with my tongue, <laughs> you know, with my, with my talk talk. And, um, and that was not very helpful. So I had to learn slowly, but surely, I think God needed for me to learn some, um, to bite my tongue, to, um, you know, to feel whatever I'm feeling, frustration, disappointment, justifiable resentment, justifiable fear, and just keep moving forward in the solution. Now, I'll draw the contrast today by the grace of God. 
do those things come up? Yes, not nearly as often. I think one of the reasons they don't come up nearly as often now and, um, or with the same um, intensity, because if it does come up in a more intense way, any, any sort of feeling, it could be resentment, it could be fear, justifiable, it could be, uh, you know, um, it could be um, some dishonesty, some, you know, I will absolutely uh, uh, do the, use the 10 step right in that moment. And I will ask for God to remove it. I will uh, talk about that with an understanding person, get it out of my head. I will make amends immediately if I've harmed anyone as a result of that. And I will resolutely turn my thoughts to someone else I can help. Those are very four simple things that I needed to practice so they become embedded in my mind to do those things. Sometimes I think we get so rigid in our thinking and rather than treat this as spiritual kindergarten, as Bill talked about it, I think I wanted to have a spreadsheet of instructions and flashcards to know exactly. But once you start doing it, the instructions become embedded in your mind. And the more you practice it, the better you become with it. You know, so I, I hope that, so today I, I still do those things. It's just, most things do not, they just simply don't rise to that level for me, Brandy. Most things um, do not, um, you know, when, when someone, yesterday, <laughs> this is just something small, someone wanted to make a left-hand turn from the non-turning lane in front, you know, and, and it was icy out, it was snowy out, and, you know, that catches any human being off guard, and today, I don't know why I, I immediately think that, that that could be my sister or my mother in that car. I get a new perceptive lens. You know, that could be someone that I care about that's just confused. And I'm able to empathize in a different way. Does it still catch me? But that is because God has changed all ideas, emotions, and attitudes. I know that's the case. So I'm able to do that more readily. I wasn't able to do that earlier, so I really had to rely on the tools as I diligently, quickly, and methodically work this program. So I, ho I hope that helps, Brandy. Yes. Thank you, Larry. You, you bet. Thank you, Brandy, for the question. Kathy Kay, your question, then Pam will have a question after you. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks, Melanie, for your service. And uh, thank you so much, Larry Kay. It was really wonderful to hear you this morning. I'm glad to be on this road with you. Um, I want to ask you about um, what I think is, for me, an emotional relapse. Uh, I have a difficult situation going on in my life, and I find that the peace and serenity that I've been practicing and benefiting from for several years now um, is almost entirely out of my reach. Um, my character defects, the most salient ones, are popping up all over the place. So my question for you is, is there, what would spiritual, an emergency of, or a spiritual crisis, how would you handle that or how have you handled that since you've been recovered? It seems to me there's something else I need to do. Uh, to strengthen my faith at, at this point in time. Are you there? Oh, I'm sorry, Kathy. I was talking away. <laughs> and I had muted myself. I mean, it's so oh, good to hear okay. your voice. 
Yeah, yeah thank you for the kind thank you for the kind words and the questions. Um yeah, the the you talked about an emotional relapse and and you know spiritual crises and things and those those things do come up. Um, you know, I, I I can remember and I just want to tell you how I how I handle those as someone who's been brought to this recovered state of being by the grace of God. You know, I I have patience with myself. I'm, we hear again and again the same things, but they, it's just because they resonate and they make so much sense that you know why is it that I um, that I want to beat myself up so much when, uh, which is what I do. You didn't necessarily say that, but I, I really do because I, I feel that I should be beyond that at times. Yeah. Right. You know, but do you know what I mean? And I, and I feel like, okay, so this has come up. What, what is it with me? Didn't I, you know, didn't I come to that class? Did, did I miss that? Did I miss that day? <laughs> you know, and you and I know, you know, teaching, you know, that you, I missed that particular day. It was, you know, was I just uh, zoning out? The the thing about it is today is I have more patience for myself and others. So, you know, there. Look, um, there. I, I'll, I'll use an example of my mother. Okay, my mother. She she's a lovely person, Kathy. You'd like her. I think you would. You know, she's she's an intelligent woman. She's she's certainly not the same woman that she was. Who who is from? 30 and 40 and 50 years ago, right? How would we expect that, right? So I've shared other things that happened to me, other podcasts and so forth. But the thing is, is she's a lovely person. Well, but she's experiencing the consequences, it's sad to say, of a lifetime of, of compulsive eating. Now, I please understand, Kathy, you know, I am not standing in judgment, I, I you know, at all. Uh, it's just when you see, you know, when you see someone that's really going through and it's just struggled their whole life with this disease, terrible, not, not a program person and someone with such pride. And I don't even mean that in a bad way, but you know, pride and grace as a woman and really is a, is a terrific, um, I'm not being patronizing, but really is a terrific grandparent and great grandparent, but it's so sad to see. And, you know, um, to watch the deterioration of that person who has a good mind but very little mobility. They're certainly not the same mobility. Um, and, um, and to see that, you know, her quality of life and for her to suffer is, is really, really challenging. I'm using that as a, a, a crisis type of thing. I mean, it, we, we can certainly pick one, you know, just how it impacts us. And that's tough for me to see. And I feel helpless as a human being. I know, and I've experienced and program teaches me that I, I, I just don't have the power to change anyone. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no emotional appeal won't work necessarily. All I can do is demonstrate in my own life. I think in some ways, you know, though, what, I, what I'm able to do, um, again, with God's grace and mercy, is, um, is when I get out of sorts, not if I get out of sorts, when, Kathy, because I do, we all do. We get out of sorts sometimes. We get out of our swim lane. We pick a, pick a, you know, term. We, you know, we, our, our feathers get ruffled. I know some people on this line, like me, that um, have great, wonderful, beautiful recovery that, oh, oh my goodness, they can get off the rails. And that, that is reassuring because they're just like me. You know, no matter how, there's no, there's no um, you know, earning your way beyond being human. So what I do today with the emotions is sometimes I sit with the suffering, uh, me, you know, sit with my own suffering. 
And, um, and another example of a crisis for me is, look, I, Kathy, don't tell anyone, but I have panic disorder diagnosed. Now, since it's just you and me talking and no one else knows about this, I don't fear that anyone, but I have panic disorder. And there are times, Kathy, when the panic, it just comes up and there's no rhyme or reason to it. I can't connect the dots. I can't think my way out of it. Sometimes I just got to sit and suffer with it for a time and, um, and know, but I still know that there's a, and I don't feel like praying when I'm going through that period of time. I don't even, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm troubled and I sit with it. And you know what? Each time, like a river that flows, whether it's frozen, it's always flowing, or it's a beautiful sunny day, it passes. It passes. That's why I say with love in my heart, when I, when I share that calamity is either, you know, in our life right now or on its way, some people may, with the, the lens in which they hear that, they may hear that as a very pessimistic, almost a jarring statement. Great. It's either in my life, yeah, or it's on its way. Where's the hope in that? And I say it with a smile on my face because I've experienced it, and so is transcendence because all, all things pass. Right. You know, so some, you know what I mean? So I've got to sit with it sometimes and look for the growth that comes from it and recognize, like Bill said, you know, it's spiritual kindergarten. It will always be spiritual kindergarten for me. And my goodness, Kathy, when I see you, you know, I, 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 I don't know what you used to be like. <laughs> I know what I used to be like, but I see this, you know, beautiful human being that I love to see, you know, every once in a while, you know. So it's kind of like that's, that's obviously a changed woman. When I hear you talk, I'm like, that's a changed woman who's human just like me. So I don't know if that's yeah, reassuring. Or, yeah, oh, my yeah. pleasure, Kathy. It is. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for the question. Pam M., your question is next, and then uh, Sandy will come in with her question after you, Pam. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> Hi, Larry. Oh, your words of wisdom just brought me to tears. Um, yeah, everything about sitting with the, the pain and, and what's going on with your mom, um, I really relate to that. I, I have two questions. Um, the the first one is, um, have you ever had someone not forgive you after a ninth step? And how did you cope with that? Oh, those are great questions, um, Pam. Thank you so much for those. Yes, 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 I, I did. And I'll, I'll be more specific. Um, well, okay, so... Um, there was, I had a relationship with a, a long-term relationship with, um, with the person. This is before I came into the program and it was not my, my, my wife. Um, it was, it was after that. And, um, um, and I just, what I'll say is, um, I did the best I could. I, I gave away Pam absolutely what I had within me. <laughs> so I don't know that that's reassuring. So, you know, I was a Jekyll and Hyde. I gave, you know, I, I really tried to be supportive, I think, in times. But I, I brought a lot of pain to that relationship because I just couldn't. I was unpredictable. I was hurtful. Um, I hurt people with words. I hurt people with actions or inaction when, you know, I hurt... I've heard Harlan and others share, you know, the, um, 
you know, um, I, I lied when the truth would have served me better. Sure, that was part of me. So anyways, this, this particular woman who, she was a lovely human being, you know, and is, you know, but um, Pam, she didn't want to hear from me. You know, she just didn't want to, she, she had had enough of me, you know, and, um, and so when I approached her, um, you know, I, I was working with a sponsor and I approached her through like an email. I mean, she was still around and I was able to do that. And um, I knew that she was not, you know, in another relationship, you know, so I wasn't too concerned about bringing a harm, you know, in that sense. We talked that through. I prayed about it, all that stuff. But bottom line, she didn't want to hear from me. In fact, she, she didn't respond, but then eventually she did later in a, in a written forum. And, and basically, and I'm paraphrasing, she said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to forget those times, right? I've moved on, you know, no need to contact me. And what great wisdom for my sponsor at the time to say, you know, you've made your demonstration. If, if ever there was an opportunity to make amends and she was open to that, that would be her choice and you would. Um, she allowed me to send a letter, which I did, and um, and that was it. Um, but she did not accept my amends. And how I dealt with that at first, I thought, oh, great. Now I'm not going to get to this, whatever this, you know, rainbow is. I'm not going to get it because I believe somehow that making amends, Pam, was about getting reconciliation it was it was to get something from the other person forgiveness and reconciliation and while that happened in some situations in some cases it didn't happen and this was one of them and and really it didn't matter in the sense that i was still going to experience and was experiencing a psychic change um the amend was that i wasn't going to live that way anymore and guess what happened I don't live my way that anymore. I don't live my life that way anymore. You know, I'm not the same. I'm the, the per, but it, it wasn't a matter of me trying to show that person so they can say, holy smokes, you are just Mr. Wonderful now. Wish you would have been that way before. That would have felt really good. But it wasn't about that. It was just now I'm able, by the grace of God, not to live my life that way anymore. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And um, again, God only knows if there was ever an opportunity to make that amend and it was, you know, that came about, I would absolutely make it um, in a face-to-face way. But, but she told me not to contact her and I have not. And that was years ago. So I don't, I don't know if that helps, Pam. Thank you so much, Pam, for your question. Sandy W., it's time for your question. And then Martha S. will come in after you. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Melanie. Thanks so much for your service. And Larry, another great podcast. You've been such a help to me in my recovery, and I just so appreciate you. But my question is this. I recently um, was asked by a sponsee, how do you tell God's will from your own will? Isn't that the, the, question, of, <laughs> the question all of us ask over and over? So I'm just wondering how you answer that question. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. How do we how do we know? How do we separate our will from God's will? Usually, what I do is what someone did for me is I, um, I we turn to the promises, and um, you know that and and you know if we look at the promises, um, starting on pages eighty three, we're, we're, of course we're in the ninth step. 
you know, it, you know, it talks about some things that will happen um, as we're working uh, through this. And, and in particular, at the bottom of page 84, I'll read here, it says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will return. We will seldom be interested in liquor. That happened. If attempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though the, uh, we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We've not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react. Uh, so long as we uh, keep in fit um, spiritual condition. And it goes on, you know, when it talks about um, the fact that, uh, I have to find it here, but, it, you know, that, that God, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, that, that God will not, we can't expect that God will be speaking to us through our intuition at all times, right? Um, but more and more over time, just as it told me, I could begin to trust uh, that God will speak to me through my intuition, so it's not a question for me of delineating between when God's speaking to me or when he's not. When I ask God to direct my thinking, I presume that the God of my understanding will do that. And so then I can operate and I can relax and take it easy. I don't have to struggle anymore. You know, so I don't, I don't question, I don't have a fear, oh, that thought. Let me get that on a spreadsheet. Is that from God? Or from, let me do like a, you know, um, an analysis of that. I just, I don't am, analyze any of it. I figure that even if I offer someone, as I'm doing now, I'm offering my experience and, you know, some, some opinion based on that experience, that even if it's not all from God, because I can't expect that it always will be, I'm just a human being, you know, that... Um, Regardless, that, that God has, I, I have seen this omnipotent higher power work in such amazing ways that even when I've made bad decisions, um, good things can come of that, you know, at the very least the learning and so forth. You know, so I, I yeah, I don't, I don't struggle with that anymore. Um, I think what I was referring to is more in the nine step promises where it talks about, you know, that, that the God consciousness will become more a working part of our intuition as we begin to use it. And and I think that's also in the eleventh uh, step. I should I should uh, well I wish I had the memory of someone like Harlan. I'd just go right to boom, right to the to the exact page. But yeah, I bring that to their attention that I'm I'm just not struggling in those um uh, those those the analysis of that so much anymore. And you know my question sometimes is you know what 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 is my need to understand exactly? You know I can trust. I can trust in this process that I will begin to change and I will begin to practice things differently. I will begin to be dominated by a God-centered consciousness. And as that happens, my behavior begins to change. So I, I hope that helps a little bit. Thank you, Sandy W., for your question. Martha S., your question, please. And then Julie F. will have hers after you. Good morning, Martha. Star one, please. Good morning. Thank you. This is Martha S. I um, pr appreciate everything you shared, Larry, and um, 
I'm going to pass, though, because my, my question has been answered. So I'll let someone else have my time. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Well, I wanted to, hey, I wanted to say, Mel, that I found it. It, it was actually in, in Step 11 on page 87, top of 87. What used to be the hunch or occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. So, um, and then it goes on from there. That That's what I was referring to with that. So, okay. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. Julie F., your question this morning for Larry. Julie F. Hi, this is Julie Goss. There you are. Um, Overeater in recovery today. Larry, thank you so much. Um, So I just want to say the question that I had one of it was answered the first person so um i do want to be able to open it up to other questions and thank you so much for being here and doing this service my pleasure you are so thorough larry (laughs) (laughs) so if you do have time maybe we can um open up maybe this would be the last invitation for folks that have questions for you this morning about your presentation, the spiritual experience, Appendix Two. I'm ready to take some more names. Mary Lou, Leon B. Sharon K. Mary Lou and Leon. And did you say Sharon K? Yes. Mhm. Alana M. Alana M. I'm going to pause here for just a moment because this Dorita probably P. will be our last invitation. Hey, Dorita P. Dorita P. And Sarah C. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Sandy S. You have a question this morning. This will be our last invitation, star one. Elaine B. Elaine B. Okay, that sounds good. So I believe I heard Mary Lou, Leon, Sharon K., Alana M., Dorita P., Suri C., Sandy S., and Elaine B. Mary Lou, do you want to go first? Sure. Mary Lou in California, grateful, recovering, compulsive eater. Larry, thank you for your share this morning and uh, such a great, great, great inspiration and hope that I get from your share. My question is, now that you're recovered and working with other uh, compulsive eaters um, and afterwards now with years in, what is it that you do? Do you do anything besides recovery work to enrich your spiritual life? Um, you know, anything else besides like, I don't know, any work with Jungian analysis or somatic movement or anything to enhance your spiritual and psychological growth as well as big book work? Yeah, uh, sure, Mary Lou. I, I want to, yeah, I want to stay, you know, focused on the, you know, the, the book and so forth. But, but I, here's, here's what I could say, because I think it's a valid question. Yeah, I do lots of things. Um, you know, without getting into specifics, I read, I read broadly, um, uh, you know, beyond, you know, program literature um, and try to apply, um, you know, those things. I'm very interested in, 
um, spirituality, meditation. You know, these are, but these are all within the context of, of the instructions in the program. So there's, gosh, there's, there's so many different ways that we can find. And, you know, as a psychologist, obviously in my field, I'm still very interested in, um, in neurological processes and, you know, and research on emotions and motivation and all these different things, right? What I have found, though, with all those things is there's lots of wonderful, beautiful, life-enhancing, life-enhancing, you know, techniques and different things. Um, and so I wouldn't speak disparagingly of any of those that are working for people and giving people comfort. At the same time, you know, I know for me, my experience um, was that um, I always, those outside uh, pursuits to try to expand things were always a part of my life. It's just within the context of what brought me to Overeaters Anonymous, which was, um, which was the misery I didn't see it as a spiritual malady, but it was the misery of the fat and the food and the food and the food and the food and the restricting and all those things. Nothing, nothing uh, worked except for me personally, nothing worked. Um, but this practical program of spiritual action that led to recovery. So now I'm, you know, somewhat hesitant to, because look, I could, you know, I could speak at length about all sorts of opinions and ideas and so forth on, on different, you know, outside issues. And, and I think there'd be some validity to some of those things that we all addicts have opinions and I certainly have mine, you know, and I can share those with anybody outside of the context of this program, but in the program, I'm, I'm just such uh, so passionate about um, the, the steps and what it produced and what it continues to produce in my life that I really try to stay focused on that, on that, so if that, if that makes sense. But I'd be happy to um, talk offline with you on, on some of the things that I do and, and learn some of the things that you do could be helpful. So I appreciate the question. I'm still here just in case y'all thought I took off. I didn't. <laughs> Leon B., you're next with your question for Larry, and then Sharon K. will come after you, Leon. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your wonderful presentation. Um, man, heartfelt really was. Um, I'm Leon B., recovered from Simpsonville, South Carolina. Um, in my experience, my experience, my question is a, is on your experience, and if you would care to give a thought on is there a difference between the spiritual experience and this spiritual release from from the obsession of, of drinking or eating and I've, I've read that somewhere in, in the big book as well as the, the 12 and 12 where it, it talks about a spiritual release um, does the release come out of your experience your spiritual experience um, is it two separate things or um, I'm just wondering if you have any on that. Yeah, Leon, thank, oh, it's good to hear you, Leon. Um, and, and I think that's a great question. Um, I don't struggle with it too much, you know, in that, um, in looking at those, so the spiritual experience and, and use the term spiritual release. I know, again, as we read, you know, the, the spiritual experience was, you know, it was the more kind of sudden, at least the way they described it, more sudden revolutionary change. Uh, Versus the spiritual awakening, you know, which was more of the educational variety and maybe took, evolved 
it took longer over time. But I do understand when you talk about um, a release, just kind of a spiritual release. I, I think what I'm taking from that, and, and you, you help me if I'm wrong, is you're talking about when, you know, when the obsession to binge eat was lifted, when it was eradicated. See, I can say that with such conviction now because it happened to me. And, and that was a great release and relief with an F, right? That was a great release. And I think, was it spiritual in nature? Um, I think both inform each other, you know, my spiritual awakening and the relief that I got in many ways, including the obsession being eradicated was a great relief. So they both um, are integrated together and inform each other. I don't know that I see them as separate. I, I see the whole, anything spiritual, um, you know, by description to me is the program, you know, so I got relief from being a jackass as a, as a human being, <laughs> you know, not to <laughs> sort of make, make light of it. Right. You know, I got great relief from that because I could be with people and I could have relationships with a Leon B or, you know what I mean? Like that's the, yeah. that was such an amazing thing. And that was, there was a release and a relief with that. And it was spiritual nature. When I see, you know, again, just, picking on my friends like, you know, see you in LA and, and, you know, it's just so good to be around people. I never, I don't know about you, but I never really could sustain those feelings. I could have moments where I can meet a nice person and appreciate uh, parts of them, but I had to scatter, man, and get to my heroin pretty quickly. I, if I was, I, I could be overwhelmed by joy as much as I could be overwhelmed by, by fear and, 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 and other negative emotions. Um, and today I can sit, you know, with you or with other people and just, um, that, 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 that's a beautiful thing. So I, uh, but the obsession being lifted, the way I described my experience was it was absolutely different for me than the way I would describe a, like a biological thing. In other words, biology might suggest, and this is off a little bit, but I'm just saying, I want to give my experience in this context. Biology might say, okay, if you put down, you know, your, 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 the substances that initiate that phenomenon of craving, you know, eventually the, the cravings go away. I, I remember that but before I ever came into program. I might not have described it that way, but I remember that feeling. But the problem was not just that. I still had what we call this obsession, this mental twist that would drive me back to the food again. That had to be eradicated. And Leon, I could not eradicate that myself. Although I kept trying to. I kept trying to. I knew that it was a failed attempt. It was futile. And when that, now looking back, that that was driven out and we do talk about staying in fit spiritual condition. I get that. But when that was driven out, you know, for me, Leon, it's never come back. Now, to those who might say, well, just wait, Larry, because my experience is it does come back. Well, you know, I'll deal with it. It just hasn't come back. I just keep trying to carry the message, and it hasn't come back. So I don't even try to judge it. I'm just grateful. It's a gift, free. Had to do some work, <laughs> you know, uh, destruction of ego, but um, but it was it, it was a gift. So I don't know if that helps, but um, thanks for the question. Thank you, Leon B, for your question. Sharon K, your question, please, for Larry, and then Alana will come in after you. <clears throat> Hi, Larry. Thanks for your talk. Uh, just excuse me. <clears throat> um, 
I was uh, very um, interested in your saying that your your life was driven a lot by fear and that you were diagnosed with panic attacks or something. I really struggle with panic attacks. Um, when I get into a panic attack, I have trouble breathing. I like I know at some level it's just in my mind, but it feels so real. Like I have trouble disconnecting from it. And like I find inventories very helpful for fear when I have some distance from it. But in the moment, it's it, I can't think. Like I'm just so frozen. Um, yeah, so let me Sharon, Let me. Um, yeah, let me let me do this. This would be something that I would love to talk to you, and I'm going to leave my contact information because with in keeping with our traditions, you know, we want to stay. It's, by the way, it's not to diminish or to, to sidestep your question. It's just, it's something that, and I did share that I had that. You're right. Cause I was trying to illustrate um, the point that I still, you know, that we, in other words, the, the larger point that we still have human things that happen to us. And that was, I, I wanted to bring it up in that, in that context. But that being said, I'd be happy to talk to you outside of this venue because our traditions are that we keep to a singleness of purpose here. And that's, that's kind of an outside thing. What I will say though, what I think I I'm safe in the traditions and saying is that working the steps quickly, putting my food down entirely um, has changed me in many ways, in many ways, my ability to cope with many things. And that. I think is an experience that is in keeping with the promises. We change all ideas, attitudes, and emotions begin to do that. We were dominated by begin to change and, and they're replaced by new ideas, emotions, and attitudes. Um, yet we're still human, aren't we? So yeah, feel free to, when I leave the number and I'm on the list here too, to, you know, feel free to call. I'd be happy to talk to you offline here. Thanks so much Sharon, for the question. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you, Sharon Kay. Appreciate that consideration. Alana M., you're next with your question. And then Dorita P., you'll be after that. Hi, Alana. Uh, yeah, hi. Thanks, uh, Melanie and Larry. <clears throat> Thank you so much for your share. I just want to say that it's uh, it may be the first time that I've been listening to a meeting where I felt like I could finally breathe. And the reason, and I'm going to try to not be offensive here, is I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk so... Um, kindly, um, clearly about the re spiritual experience with very little reference to God. And, and I say that because um, I'm someone who I, I have anxiety and yuck, just yuckies that come up every time spiritual experience is referred to that way. And you were so, I, I want to ask, my question is, how do you do it? How do you share the way you're sharing. And the part that stood out, you know, profound alteration, a personality change sufficient, but religion has nothing to do with this. It may for you, but it doesn't here, you know. How did you find the way to talk about something that I experience as a very emotional topic everywhere I go in 12-step rooms and be so respectful of everyone? Like, did you have to work at that? Because I, too, am a what I would call a recovering jackass. And and yet you seem to be able to do this in such a beautiful way. So how did you do it? Uh, that's my question. Go ahead. Oh, th thanks for the kind words, Alana. Yeah, I, uh, boy, I, this is time where I'd really like to take credit for this. Boy, oh boy, you know, I wish I could. But, um, <laughs> but, but the reality is, like Leah shared with me when I first met her, you know, and I, and I just, because I know, Alana, you mean it, and it does make me feel good. Trust me, it does. But she said, 
yeah, Larry, thank you for, in the kindest way, thank you for noticing God's handiwork. And, and, you know, you could tell that it wasn't like a patronizing way and you could tell it wasn't her like, you know, that she's kind of, you know, holding up a trophy kind of thing or, you know, and that's how I feel. That's what's in my heart. So it's, it's all God's handiwork. We all have different gifts and different ways of explaining things. I mean, I could, I, you know, personally, if I'm moderating a meeting, not to offend anyone, because I guarantee there's someone who cringes when I say this. I, I could listen to someone like Harlan 24-7, right? And there's other people, like with me, that, you know, well, I'll just speak about me. They, they can't stand, you know, they cringe when they just hear my voice. And the point is, is that isn't it nice that we all have certain people that have, um, that God has given them a different, you know, whatever personality kind of fits for us and that we have a broad range of voices, all people that were on this ocean liner, if you will, that recovered, they're no longer dominated and tethered to the old self. And yes, for me, no, it's not about religion. Um, at least this program, the way it was designed by our founders and Ian, we can certainly acknowledge the Oxford group and all that. Sure. But, but the fact that atheists, agnostics, Jews, Christians, I don't mean to leave anybody out. That's why I always call myself a Martian, just to say anybody and everybody um, can get well if they have the willingness to uh, put their food down and embark on this program of action. And so, yeah, that's all I have to say. Um, but, but, but I appreciate the kind words. It makes me feel good if I'm helping. Thanks so much, Alana. Thank you, Alana M., for that. Um, Dorita P., your question, please, and then Suri comes in after Dorita. Good morning, Dorita. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your service. I know you're you're beautiful inside and out. And Larry, you're handsome inside and out. But uh, Larry, to get to get to get to my question. <laughs> uh, so what do you say? No, hey, don't laugh here, Dorita. There's no laughing allowed. You know the rules. <laughs> so what do you say? Um, would you say, I had to write this question down because I didn't want to forget anything. So would you say that to tell the difference between my will and God's will that it feels right, um, I won't struggle with it, um, I, won't, I won't have angst? Uh, for example, like if I speak, if I'm to speak, and I may feel a little nervous, but I won't feel angst, which is a deep anxiety or dread. Would you say that would be the difference between my, my will and God's will? I mean, I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, that's a good, yeah, it's a good question. I, and I certainly don't have all the answers. I just, when I go back and I, I botched it and then I wasn't reading the right thing that I wanted to, I just think this captured, Bill was such a great writer. I think this book was divinely inspired. Then I'll come back to the question. He says, you know, he says, hey, Dorita, Larry, what used to be the hunch or occasional inspiration, you know, what comes into our mind, it gradually becomes a working part of the mind. And then he goes on to say, being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable that we're going to be inspired at all times. We, we might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, Dorita, our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. And that was, that's on page 87, top of 87. So for me, um, sometimes, you know, yes, I, when you talked about like the anxiety and the angst and all that, the most spiritual that I tend to feel is 
you know, when I'm helping others or certainly trying to help others, right, with a, with a, as pure a heart as a human being can have, right, uh, you know, I'm not perfect in that regard. But I do feel generally less angst when I'm, when I'm in the flow of that and I feel like I'm, you know, I'm being of service. Now, sometimes, though, I can, I can get nervous and feel anxious, that that happens to me. It's to, and, and I don't I don't judge it so much that like as though if I'm anxious or whatever human feelings or emotions I'm having that somehow that does not come of God. I wouldn't suggest that. I just say in general, um, for me, Dorita, uh, over time, um, when I'm willing and open, when I start when I start my day down on my knees, which again is not really for me anyway a religious thing. It's just a uh, symbolic of um, humility in the face of a power that I choose to believe is greater than me. Um, and, I, and I ask and I say, as I did this morning, I do every morning, God, you know, take the wheel, you know, um, guide my thinking, direct my thinking as you would, as you would have me think. You know, keep, keep me, this is from the big book, right? Keep me divorced. Well, that's a term that had a spin for me. Keep me divorced, God, from self-pity, dishonesty, and self-seeking motives, you know? And then I presume that if God exists, and I choose to believe that God does exist, that those, that will be answered in the way that God will choose to answer it. And I can just, I can take solace in that. I can be peaceful in that, come what may, you know? So, yeah, I think you made some great points, though, Dorita. It's good to hear your voice. Okay, thank you so much, Larry. Question. Sure. Thank you, Dorita P. Suri C., your question, please, for Larry, and then Sandy S. will come after you. Hi. Um, thank you so much. Um, I, you know, I, I actually missed the first half of the, the first section of where you actually quoted and said what you were talking about. That was the best. I know I wasn't. Well, I, <laughs> I, I was beating myself up missing, about missing it and, um, and deciding whether or not I should even um, um, identify in and call in. And I did, and I'm so grateful because what you just said, even in answering the questions, what tears to my eyes. And once um, you spoke about the fact that the, the reading was the spiritual experience, I was like, okay, please, God, help me, God, give me a chance to speak because. I just shared with a friend of mine yesterday that I've known since college, which was many years back, um, that I'm doing this OA program, and it is throwing me for a loop. And, and she's like, how so? I said, because I, I, if you could believe it, which she couldn't as soon as I told her, she said, I said, I am having a hard time with being spiritual and having a hard time with inviting God into the spiritual being into every last moment because this is a disease of isolation. So when I'm pinching my food, I God, I'm, God's not invited there, and and that's and it's so hard for me to invite God into every single moment. And one of the things that caught me right away and that made me part of this uh, say that I have to do this program is is the spiritual experience that I, I read appendix to, and I was like, oh my God, this is this is what I believe from my core, but I just need it. So um, I just want to say thank you to God and thank you to this group and to thank you to you for, for your honesty and your openness. Um, my question is, um, how do I do it? How do I, 
I'm I'm still new. I'm still trying to internalize steps one and step two. So I and I'm I'm reading and I'm doing and I'm doing the work and my sponsor is amazing and patient, but I haven't been able to put down the food. And I step back into my parents' house where my mother thinks she has no issues with food whatsoever and proceeded after I begged her to please make simple, because I'm coming with my daughter, please make simple for us. We don't need anything, and I'm really trying to work this program. She baked us cakes, and she baked us cookies, and she, I, I can't. And she put it all out, and, and I sat there at the start of this meeting just eating my um, abstinent food that I told my sponsor I would eat, along with a whole bunch of cake. And I literally was just putting it, and, and I, okay, going to try to step back. The spiritual experience, the, the, the mental obsession you spoke of, the fact that when you spoke of the fact that it's been lifted and, and, and you feel like it just is lifted and it hasn't come back, but you keep doing the work. So I, I know that part of it is what I've been told is that if, as long as you keep doing the work and you keep being at service, that, that you have to just maintenance. But when you said that it's just been lifted and it hasn't come back, I, I broke down crying because I can't even imagine such a beautiful thing happening. Sorry. And yet, I'm, I'm yes, so sorry okay. to interrupt. If, 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 if you could, yes. please, I, I'm so sorry. I know that I know what you're going through. So this is in just the interest of time, please, madam. Okay, sure. Um, my question is, um, how did you, how do you, at least in the beginning, um, invite that spiritual experience um, at those moments when, when faced with the foods, when, um, when the emotion is driving you to the food, how, how did yeah. the, was it, what was it about yeah, spiritual yeah. experience or something that lifted it for you, that mental obsession? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, it's going to happen for you too, 100% guaranteed. If you're, I've, I've never seen someone fail who's thoroughly followed this path. Not even rarely for me. You'll read in the book, rarely. I've never seen, so it's going to happen for you too. If you're willing to put your food down and go through, even thinking about it makes you uncomfortable. It did for me. Every person on this line that is a compulsive overeater that has the twofold nature of the disease, the allergy of the body, and the mental twist had to go through suffering, um, uh, some sort of uncomfortability. That's a nice way of saying suffering, emotional and physical. Physical, I I want that cake. Oh, my God, I want that cake. I had, you know, I I hid food, you know, around to, you know, and I, but the only person that can put it down, Surrey, is you. You can't wait to get a feeling to put it down. You could put it down. You're powerless. Yes, we say that in step one, but you're not helpless. If you don't put it down, the question really is, is who's going to put it down on your behalf and go through that uncomfortability? Now, that's why we talk about working the steps very quickly. Yes, thoroughly. Yes, following the instructions out of the big book. It's in the first 164 pages of the big book, largely unchanged. But if you follow that as only Surrey can, which is like me, imperfectly, the obsession will be lifted and you'll be able to call me and tell me and other people what that's like. But you first have to put the food down because if you try to work the steps while you're putting the band around your arm, taking out this, you know, syringe, so to speak, right, just to use a, use a visual, that you, the steps are, for me, they never work that way. So, and you're going to hear people that will tell you you can. 
and hats off to them if they if that's their experience. I've never met anybody that's had an effective spiritual awakening, a sustainable one that 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 is still eating the food. Just haven't met that person yet. So I would urge you to put the food down, go through the uncomfortability, work the steps quickly, find yourself a recovered sponsor. There's plenty on Vision and elsewhere. And just embark on the pro- and just trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process. You'll be amazed before you're halfway through this process. That, that that's no no excuse me no whatever right. It's no BS. It's really I was amazed before I was halfway through working the steps in sequence. So anyway, so wish you well. And uh, that's what I have to offer. Indeed. Thank you, Sir C. Thank you for that. Sandy S., your question, and then Elaine B. will come after you. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Two questions. If two is too much, and just answer the first, please. Okay. Um, I'm covered and have experienced a lot of psychic change, thank God. But one area that has not changed, and I don't know if you've had experience with this in terms of surrendering this to God, is like I have this huge list in my mind of things I need to do. And it's totally impossible for me to get them all done. I'm a highly motivated, disciplined person. And I just don't know if, you know, what it would take for me to surrender, you know, my list and trust that whatever doesn't get done, it's okay, Sandy. I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah, again, it's a, you know it's something I'd be happy to talk to you about, Sandy. You know, it's it it's certainly not one of the promises that you know that that I'm gonna you know be um, you know the list of things and you know my my maybe unlike you my ability to procrastinate and all those things is going to be removed. I, I still deal with um, I will never rise above the level of a human being. What I have found though, Sandy, over time is um, is greater acceptance greater acceptance of of you and greater acceptance of myself as a human being. And with that, you know, the, we begin to drop the rock. You know, there's a book about step six and so forth. But but, but just the, the notion of I'm carrying this rock of stuff, this shadow stuff. We talk about it. Dr. Jung talked about the shadow. Maybe this is one of your shadows. Not evil shadow like that type of thing, but just one of, you know, one of those burdens that needs to be dropped and the more that I practice this stuff and rely on my higher power, I'm able to drop those rocks. And I'm, I become more aware of them, that they even are rocks that I'm carrying around. And, um, and so it's been a process for me, Sandy, where, where the, I had to let go of some of those things. And, um, you know, and, and when, I, when I focus on this way of life and these steps and I do the work, so if you're recovered, you're, um, you know, you're continuing to live this life, and, and there's some wonderful instructions in steps 10, 11, and 12. If I'm not, for example, just using as an example, and then we'll move on, is if I'm not doing step 12, you know, and I'm treating this like an 11-step program, if I'm not working intensely with other individuals, um, and I'm not working the complete program, those rocks are hard to drop, those burdens, the, the shadow self that, that burdens me. But when I am getting out of myself and working with other people and I'm following the instructions as to the best of my ability, um, watch what happens to some of those. So 
I don't know if that resonates a bit, Sandy, but uh, thanks for the question. Thank you, Sandy. As for that question, Elaine B. will ask our last question for today, Larry, and she's up next. Hi, Elaine. Good morning. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you so much for your faithful service. And Larry, thank you, too. I always appreciate your shares, and um, this is such an important topic. And I am aware, you know, hearing some of your story and other broadcasts, podcasts, (laughs) special editions, um, that you have been through a lot. And, you know, there's some, I call them mountains to climb or ways to get over. And, um, And, again, you know, this is about that spiritual experience, and there's so many roadblocks in the way for people. But, you really unpack that. So thank you so much. And um, I'd like, I, some of the things I love about We Agnostics is it talks about, you know, being in relation with uh, higher power and um, conscious companionship and, of course, step 11, uh, conscious contact. And I just wonder if you could show us what that type of sort of day-to-day relationship that helps you utterly abandon whatever comes your way to a power greater than yourself. Um, what, what that looks like for you, Larry. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for the kind words, Elaine, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate the question. So my relationship with my higher power, the, the most spiritual thing that I do today is, um, is, is help others. And, and when I say help others, um, you know, I say that with humility. It's not just in program. I try, I try to be of service. Now, I start my day, and I always ask God, to direct my thinking, keeping it divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. My, my, my prayer life is something that, you know, that, that happens throughout the day. And this is, and I do follow to the best of my ability, the instructions on the 11th step. But if that's, if it was just sort of technique kind of stuff, if it was just kind of rote stuff, you know, that you do, now, it, it's a good, I need a track to run on, so to speak, right? And it gives me, these instructions give me a good track to run on to keep me, um, you know, doing sort of the daily disciplines. But you know what it's become for me, Elaine? It's become, over time, it, it's become um, just kind of second nature to where God is running the show. Uh, so I don't have to think much or have much prompting you know, to review my day, to, to look at the 24 hours ahead, to be of service. And the reason I say that that's happened to me, I, I, I couldn't tell you for sure, but I think it's as I just continue to practice this, and especially with step 12, um, which I have so many opportunities that to be a sharing partner with other people, you know, and a sharing partner might just be a phone call where we're, we're sharing and we are carrying the message to each other. It's God's presence. For me, I don't tell them what it is for them, but I know God is present, is most present in those situations. And the more that I do that and practice that, whatever they call conscious contact with God, I feel spiritual. I feel connected. I feel as though that's flowing through me, even when it's crappy outside here in Chicago, as it has been at times, right? Even when things, uh, you know, go down, unpredictable things with my work and with family and with it's unpredictable what's going to happen today, but I still feel connected. I'll hang up from this phone. 
it doesn't doesn't take a special edition, right? That's a beautiful venue and it's a great opportunity. I'm getting so much more from this than maybe anyone's getting from it, and that's a great opportunity. But you know what? Even if I'm just talking to one other person, you know, and we're and maybe they're struggling, you know, that so that's when I'm most spiritual. That's when I'm have the 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 uh, the, the best contact conscious contact with God I have found. So anyway, that's all I got on that. And Mel, thanks so much for your service too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of one of those those neutral unison kinds of things, you know, that it is a, it's an opportunity here too as well. Thank you so much. And that is our last question today. And and Larry, you know, you did give so much of yourself today and and taking apart this particular subject, which is well discussed forever and ever and ever and ever, isn't it? Your experience, strength, and hope lent a lot to this discussion, and um, it certainly touched my life. We will now close this meeting today by reading from page 164 um, in the big book. But before I do that, I'd like to give you the share ID number one more time. And this is the share ID number for today's Sunday special edition, February 24th, 2019. And that is 12586-12586. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transfer something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 